events of the past 12 months have once again highlighted that Australia still has a long way to go when it comes to our relationship with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. 20 years on from the reconciliation march of 2000, the path to reconciliation is still one that as a nation, we have a long way to travel. In that spirit of reconciliation, I would like to offer my respects to the traditional owners of the land on which we meet, both past, present and emerging, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders who might be listening. Good morning, everybody, and thank you for joining us. And thank you, Laura Klein, for joining me here today. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Now, you, you are in California. Tell us, tell us a little bit about what's going on in your part of the world in California. We're obviously coming off bushfire season, thankfully. How are, yes. how are, how are things in California? And we are one week out from the federal election. Um, uh, things are things are pretty okay right here. Although I, I was without power for two days because PG&E just decided just to be on the safe side, we're going to cut power to everybody. Uh, so, uh, but I've, I have power again, which is very exciting. So I'm just going around and flipping light switches on and off just because I can. Because you, you can. Know. Yeah, it, it makes you really appreciate things like having lights come on when you turn them on, as opposed to here's the fun thing: if your power's out for a couple of days. Count how many times you try to turn the light on, <laughs> even though you know it won't come on. It's, it's kind of a fun way to tell just how present you are in the moment. I was, <laughs> the answer is not very. <laughs> I was trolling through Instagram yesterday and the day before, and maybe the day before that, um, and I was seeing all of these pictures of people with... Um, with their camping gear and with their emergency um, light packs and with their sort of backpacks of various things. And I was thinking, wow, I know a lot of people who go camping. That's surprising. <laughs> on a Monday night. On How a strange. Mon on a Monday night. And then it occurred <laughs> to me after probably far too long, it occurred to me that actually they're all prepping for a blackout. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, we've all become we've all become preppers accidentally. We I don't mean to, but I now have like the the big power brick and you know, yeah, trying to get a generator installed because it's like, well, we'll we'll just make our own power. <laughs> one of the one of the interesting things that I learned this time last year, as you were all going through the same issue last year, and PG and E being the public electricity utility in California um, is responsible for your electricity grid in California. It's responsible for not only the generation, but the transmission lines. Um, and they turn off your power because during high wind events, those transmission lines have been known to start fires, which is obviously yeah. a bad thing. I, I learned last year that they have a subsidiary that sells generators. Well, that would certainly explain something. They also, they also, um, they're not a public utility. They're, they're a not. regulated okay. private utility. Okay. Um, and they, um, they give uh, very big bonuses to the top people um, for 
things like, I don't know, not setting California on fire, I guess, or maybe setting California on fire. It's not really clear. It's uh, a pretty low bar, you would think. <laughs> yeah. What they don't do is they don't take a lot of care of the lines. No. Yeah. No. But they, <laughs> they subsequently do these rolling blackouts. Um, they sure do. During, yeah. During these sort of, you know, yeah. red, red flag events. But I learned that 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 obviously drives the market for generators and they mm. have a subsidiary that sells generators. I mean, so the incentive for them to actually good, stop the rolling blackouts is low. It's it's a it's a good lead generation technique. I gotta I gotta hand it to them. It's phenomenal. <laughs> it's phenomenal. Now, Vertical integration, right there. Love it. It's 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 great. Interestingly, though, it's not clear that the subsidiary is in fact a PG&E company. So they 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 do brand it quite separately, just to sure. make sure that you're you know let's not let's not make this game too obvious. <laughs> now that's not what we're talking about. As much as it would be fun, and I we can, I, we can talk about branding and and uh, dark patterns in in vertical integration all you want. Happy let's, to. Let's do it. <laughs> now you are um, you've you've released uh, two books over the last few years. One around uh, lean startup and and one around or lean UX and one around um, building better products. And so product management is one of those areas that's dear to your heart, I know, but tell us a little bit, because people are always fascinated by these stories. Can you tell us that journey that saw you end up in the product management space? Yeah, so it's funny because I've gone back and forth between UX and product management and also engineering. I actually started out in, in, well, I started out technically in research and then moved to engineering and then anyway, it's a whole big long journey and because it started in the mid 90s and we didn't really have like a very clear path to do any of this stuff at that point so we were all just kind of flailing around and figuring stuff out and uh, so i tried a whole bunch of stuff um i think the funniest thing was that i uh, i learned i i'm I've, when I started out as a designer, I very much started as an interaction designer. I'm not mm -hmm. a visual person. I'm not a visual designer at all. Mm -hmm. And so I've always focused very much on user research and the interaction design and specifically those like what, like what, how something works and what it does and helping with, you know, decide on features and understanding users and all of that. And I remember I was talking to uh, a woman who was the CEO of a company uh, that I really respected. I really liked her and we were kind of chatting and she was asking me what I do. And I said, well, I'm a designer. We kind of started talking and she said, Laura, I think you're a product manager. <laughs> and I said, well, okay, <laughs> perhaps. And uh, so I started looking at it and I, I'm not one of these people. I, I, I have said in the past that I think that at a very, very, very high level, UX and product management get a lot closer. They do. Uh, I think that I, I never, I actually don't want to say that they're the same thing exactly because that really depends on what company you're at. And lots of companies, they make and, a very big distinction. Yes. yes, and the product you're on can make a very big distinction and there are reasons that they can be separate mm -hmm. disciplines, but I think that they do share quite a few things at that high level mm. where they should of, you know, understanding the user under, you know, and, and I also very much have the feeling that designers should understand things like metrics and the market and how the business makes money. So if you've got a designer who understands all of that and also does user research, you're like, okay, well, we're getting pretty close to, you know, somebody who's making product decisions. So yeah, anyway, I've gone back and forth and it's been, that it's always sort of accidental based on what the company that's hiring me needs me to do. 
So what does that look like for you today? Well, at the moment, honestly, I'm teaching. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, yeah. Also, I teach. I forgot to mention that. Um, at the moment, um, just right at the very moment, I am creating uh, courses. I'm writing a course in designing for agile teams okay. for uh, the Interaction Design Foundation. So, uh, I'm, yeah, so I'm doing some work with IXDF and um, I, I also do some coaching and training of companies generally on the sort of product or slightly UX side of things um, just with my own company. But um, oh, so, yeah, I do, you know, sometimes like business model consultations and also like if you need help integrating design better into your team, I do that kind of coaching. Yeah. Um, yeah or see. just if you need help thinking through product stuff. I mean, in... In Silicon Valley, in California, um, where product management and product innovation have been so uh, heavily embedded for so long, um, I, I, a lot of those issues you would think would be really well understood and really well um, taken up. And yet, and yet, <laughs> um, I wouldn't actually think that. And I'll tell you why. Uh, yeah. Those things are extremely popular, right? And anytime you have something that is extremely popular and is making a few people extremely rich, what you get is a lot of people who want to come and do it. And then you get a lot of people who come and they'll consult with you about how to do it. And there's a lot of different uh, people telling you to do it in different ways and not all of them do it the way that I do it. And that's fine. But there's just, there's a, there's a lot of information out there. And uh, I don't know that anybody's really settled on, and this is the correct way to do these things. Um, and there may not be a correct way to do any of it, right? It may literally just be like, if, if you're actually trying something new, I would say that a lot of these companies are not actually doing anything very new, okay, but if yeah. you are doing something new, uh, you know, part of doing something new is that you have to find new ways to do it and that there may not be a really clear template for how to do things. I think there's also just a lot of lore and mythology around how things are done in Silicon Valley and it's so innovative and it's so this and it's so, so okay. We tell really good stories. We tell really good stories, you know, yeah. and uh, a lot of it is, a little derivative. Um, I don't know that we're, you know, some of it, I, I shouldn't say that, like some of the stuff that people are building is really legitimately very cool, very interesting, very big stuff being made. And that's fantastic. Mm. And then there's everything else. Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the critiques of Silicon Valley and the culture surrounding it is the, the nature of the problems being solved. Yeah. Um, Aren't, aren't necessarily the big problems of the world. Um, they're this sort of narrow set of first world problems. Um, I, I believe it's I, I believe it's a lot of rich twenty two year old guys trying to figure out a way to um, hire their mother. Right. <laughs> you know, is there a way that I could get somebody to do my laundry for me? Is there a yeah. way that I could just get underwear sent to me in the mail? Is there a way that I could just you know have somebody come pick me up in a car when? I'm drunk and can't get home. There's nothing wrong with having those things done for you. It, they have sure. made life better for a lot of people and they've actually made life better for a lot of people that they weren't necessarily aiming to make life better for, but who actually need those services. Yeah. So I'm not against those things. I'm just against only making those things. Sure. 
Yeah. Sure. There, are there, I mean, you, you said there are, there are some that sort of uh, stand out for you as being uh, interesting um, that, you know, appear to be doing new things. Can you tell us about any? What's, what stands out for oh, you? Oh, man. Um, and I, don't with, I don't necessarily want you to pick favourites, but I'm, I'm asking you to pick a favourite. Ah, so can I, can you, can you come back to me on that one? Cause I'm, sure. I'm bad at, I'm bad at picking stuff on the spot. And generally the things that, that I'm excited about are not necessarily, you know, particular. I, I tend to be more excited about sort of new technological breakthroughs, okay. like people who are doing interesting things around, you know, new types of batteries. Like we desperately need new ways to store clean energy, for example, yes. uh, you know, and so people who are doing things that are actually like making breakthroughs in battery technology or, you know, to make them smaller and easier to transport and yep. stuff like that's going to absolutely revolutionize the world, right? People, I think, who are doing stuff with um, fake meat. I'm very excited about fake meat. <laughs> I'm not even a vegetarian and I'm super excited about fake meat. I live with a, I live with a vegetarian and it's just, it's, it's so funny because it's like, sometimes he'll eat what looks like a ham. I'm like, are you eating a hamburger? What is, what is that even about? He's like, no, it's, it's fake hamburger. And I was like, oh, that's kind of exciting. And I think yes. that stuff like that can have a really huge impact, hopefully, on things like climate change and yeah. the important stuff in the world. Yeah. And, you know, also I do get my groceries delivered because it's a pandemic and I don't want to yes. leave the house. Sure. I mean, you've, you've just named sort of two things in particular around battery technology um, and energy storage, if we think more broadly around that. And then that area of you know, where our food comes from and how it's produced. Let's talk mm -hmm. about that sort of broadly. Um, but on the, on the energy side of things, you know, we've, we've seen that the, our ability to store surplus energy or excess energy that gets generated during the peaks in solar, wind, um, in particular, as two things in particular that have mm -hmm. these sort of really quite pronounced generation profiles. Obviously, you know, wind generation peaks when it's windy um, and you can mitigate some of that by putting the wind generation offshore um, mm -hmm. where it has a greater tendency to, to be windy more frequently or more often and, and more reliably. Um, the sun, however, goes down. Um, the earth, the earth rotates. It, it insists um, on doing that. It insists it's on doing so that. frustrating. Yes. And, and on the other hand, it's kind of good for us. Uh, but, on the other hand, yeah, no, it's probably not bad. But you yeah, have that I've, issue where you do need that surplus um, to be stored, so that you can continue to make use of it during those other times, and to sort of smooth out those peaks. Um, but it's also really useful for transport. So we want to store that energy so that our cars and our bikes and our scooters um, can all run on electric power rather than running on diesel um, and those sorts of things. So like that one is going to be everywhere. Battery storage, yeah. large scale battery storage, utility scale battery storage is going to be everywhere. Yeah. Yes, I hope so. And I hope that it, we do that in a way that doesn't just create more externalities like, you know, coups in Bolivia, which I, we can also get into, I, it, which is probably beyond the scope of this, this podcast about UX. But, um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm always sort of fascinated by people who are actually pushing the envelope on the technology side of things, which is funny because I'm not 
that kind of like an engineer or scientist. So I've never been able to do that, which is probably why I'm fascinated by them. So let me bring it back then. So uh -huh. if, 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 if you insist on remaining relevant to the topic that, you know, like got us here, um, how do you deal with things like externalities in product management then? So, like, I mean, we, we, we want to draw a scope around what's within our control, but obviously the, the, the side effects, the secondary effects of what we're designing are of critical importance. It's funny, we, I, I literally just released a podcast about this, um, about consequences and second order effects uh, on my so, podcast, What is Wrong With UX, which I'll plug there. Um, and where, you know, my co-host Kate Rutter and I just get drunk and talk about something. Um, so you can hear us talk about that. But we do, we, we talk a lot about the consequences and second order effects of products. And I, the problem that I have is that a lot of designers and product management um, and, and let's be honest, people in charge of making business decisions, which are mm -hmm. frequently not the product managers or yes. designers, to yep. be clear. Yep. A lot of times the, the people make, in charge of making the business decisions aren't, aren't even really thinking about the first order consequences of something, or at least not yeah, all right. of them. They're, yeah. thinking of, they're thinking about the direct consequences that they want to happen yes. and not about and I, I, this is one thing that I will say, um, you know, I, I, I will make fun of design thinking with the best of people um, because I think that there's, a, again, there's sort of a lot of hoopla Go around it, it. Yep. but yeah. <laughs> um, but one thing that it is, or it can be good at if you do it correctly is surfacing more ideas about things and it can be used to do things like surface a bunch of consequences understanding of course that any kind of good design thinking must be based in lots and lots of research <laughs> so if you've actually done your research with the right people and you've talked to impacted people in the community and you've actually done co-design activities with people in the community and you're listening to people who have been doing this kind of work for a long time yeah. and you're not just coming in and ideating um you can actually then use these techniques to make sure that you do understand not all you're never going to get all of the consequences but you can start to understand you know what could possibly go wrong yeah. who who is this designed to help and you know who is this designed to um potentially impact badly how could this be used poorly how could this be used of, you know, aggressively, how could this be used against someone? And you, you can, you can ask that question explicitly. Yes. Um, and, I've, and you should. I've seen, <laughs> and, and, and you should. And I've seen, I've seen workshops where, you know, we've had a group of people together and we mm -hmm. ask them that question and the response comes back from, you know, a, a, a participant who, who looks a lot like I do, which <laughs> is a middle-aged white guy. Um, I can't think of any way that this could be used. What in, could you know, possibly go wrong? What, 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 could, what could possibly go wrong with this tracking software? Um, That's, oh, God. And, and, you know, like you can see the faces of the other people in the room who are from more marginalised, more disadvantaged, more often... Um, ignored. Yeah, ignored or taken mm -hmm. advantage of in society uh, to, you know, give the, the side eye of... Eh, I got... I got some ideas, um, <laughs> but you 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 need to create that space so that they can have that conversation, and you also need those people in the room when you ask the question. 
and you need them to feel safe answering it and you need to listen to them when they do and you still here's the other thing you still this is this is (laughs) this is actually another podcast topic we were discussing having well we can have the conversation here though i get really frustrated when i hear people say like was there even a woman in the room when they discussed this yeah probably they just ignored her or (laughs) or she's been so like assimilated into this organization that she didn't feel comfortable bringing it up or alternatively you know what there's a lot of us like we don't all speak for each other i'm not going to necessarily think of every single possible way that this could affect any given woman like i'm i am a middle-aged fairly wealthy white woman living in the bay area like i've got all kinds of privilege like yeah i am i am also very technologically capable and not in any danger from you know a a spouse who is going to take over the the smart home system or what have you so so that's not necessarily something i'm going to come up with just because i've got a you know certain gender identity even 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 were you to if you're in a space where your job is on the line in agreeing yeah. with those people in authority, then you're less likely to do it. So you're right. Like Absolutely. creating that, creating that um, space in which those uh, ideas can be voiced, mm-hmm. an environment and a method in which those ideas can take shape and mm-hmm. be be used um, are all. And then the the next bit is when they subsequently get assessed. Yes. To have that that because. The, the next thing that happens is all of those ideas come to someone like me who sits there and goes, oh, that's, you know, like that, that's not going to help anybody. That's not going to help yeah. anybody. That's not important or that's, oh, it's a very small percentage of people. And there's not that sort of interest. Yeah. Like it's, it's very interesting. We'll never make money off it. Yeah. We'll never make money off it. That's another one. But there's the, you know, like, oh, that's, that's an edge case or a corner case, which mm. yes, yes, it is. I mean, that's, that's one of the things that we talk about is like it, it could happen in a very tiny percentage of your users, mm. but it could really impact that tiny percentage of your users extremely yeah. poorly. Yes. And so you have to weigh that again. If it's, you know, something like, oh, that person's just not going to like that feature. That's very different than, oh, that person's life is going to be ruined. Yes. So let's have those conversations. That, that logic of, there's a, there's a saying in Sydney, um, which I'll get to in a moment, but that logic of, you know, defining the importance of a product by the people who would currently be helped by that feature or the, you know, by, by the makeup of your current audience, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a saying in, in Sydney, and I don't know whether the rest of Australia buys into this, but you know, I'm, I'm in Sydney, so I'm gonna say it, which is that you, you don't make the case for a bridge by counting the number of people swimming. <laughs> I like you know, that. Like it's, That's very um, nice. And, and, and you get into this thing where you look at, well, we, we don't have many people who, who look like that, or we don't have many people who live like that, or we don't have many people who experience like that using our product. And the response is, well, you're never going to change that if you don't yeah. cater yes. to them and, and, and actively cater to them rather than try and sort of tack on assistance on the, on the fringe. Yeah, yeah, that's, yes, there is a reason that you do not have more people like that. Or you do, and they're just tolerating a lot of stuff from you. Yeah, they probably Um, have one foot out the door. Yeah, Mm. yeah, yes, if they can. Yeah, 
and a lot of this stuff, I mean, a lot of this stuff really disproportionately affects the, the kinds of products that are used by, you know, hundreds of millions or billions of people. A lot of the stuff that we're talking about. I tend to, the funny thing is I tend to work on, um, I, I honestly tend to work on uh, B2B stuff. So I tend to work because I, I just like working on things that, um, people use at work for some reason. I think they tend to have, they tend, they tend to have sort of very clear ways that I can make their lives better. And a lot of times it'll be stuff that like people have to use all day. And there is just nothing that I enjoy more than being able to build something for somebody that they have to use all day. And it takes them from like doing taking like five hours to do something to taking 10 minutes to do something. And they're just, they're just uniform. Like there is something just uniformly thrilling about that (laughs) because they're so happy because they're like, Oh my God, I can spend the other, you know, four hours and 50 minutes that I used to spend doing this drudgery, doing something much more interesting and doing other parts of my job better. And I just like those kinds of products um, you still have to think about the funny thing is you still have to think about sure. all the consequences and second order effects because you yep. can still have all of those. They yep. do tend to be different ones. They do. Um, and you just, but you just find them out the way that you do normally, which is listen to people and lots of people. Now, listen, yeah. before we, before we wrap up and, and we are at time, let me ask, so where can people buy your books? Anywhere books are sold. Uh, the books are, books are sold. Yep. <laughs> They're called UX for Lean Startups, and that mm-hmm. was uh, by O'Reilly Media, and um, Build Better Products, which is our Rosenfeld Media book. And um, you can find out, and then there's also my podcast, which is What is Wrong with UX, and you can find out all of that stuff on my website, which is usersknow.com, and that is no K-N-O-W, not mm-hmm. users know. It's no. users know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> usersknow.com. <laughs> And the podcast uh, is with Kate Rudder. It is with Kate Rudder. And we know yes. we, we we know Kate. We like Kate. Um, good, I mean, who, you who know, wouldn't? <laughs> she's delightful. She is. I would say. I would say she's. We have been doing this podcast together for uh, over five years. So wonderful. Must be something. Must be something about it. We we will link to all of those things in the details of this episode. Laura, thank you so much. Hopefully, Thanks for having me. Hopefully the rest of the uh, rest of the spring or your autumn um, treats you well. Good luck next week. I hope that turns the election turns out well. We we, we all fingers hope, crossed. We all hope dearly <laughs> dearly that it does. All right. On that note, thank you very much, Laura. Thanks for having me. Bye bye.